Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 388 on Tuesday, the 30th of March, 2021. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in another quiet week, unlike my colleague, we'll be looking at who VW thinks are naughty boys. We look with a smidgen of optimism at events in the coming months, and we enjoy how upliftingly nerdy car people can be if they see a picture on the internet. I've had a long day and probably too much sugar. There we go. (laughs) It's okay. You have to be positive to uh, outweigh me. Right, so I'm going to start with some follow-up, and this is actually quite a big story to do with Dieselgate. And Volkswagen have, or Volkswagen Group, have concluded their independent yet internal investigation that they were asked to do. It's it's what? (laughs) Yes, it's both internal and independent, apparently. Mm. Uh, But uh, this is all part of the penalties through the charges of Dieselgate in the US. They had to get um, independent companies to come and investigate what has gone on. And then it was report that information back to the board who would then deal with the information that was found in a suitable manner. Well, what they felt is a suitable manner for some ex-employees is they're going to be charged for breaching their duty of care at the company. So that is Martin Winterkorn and uh, Rupert Stadler. They have failed to comprehensively and promptly clarify the circumstances behind the use of unlawful software functions of diesel engines, of certain diesel engines sold in North America. It was also added, and this I think is uh, bigger, but this is quoted as they also failed to ensure the questions asked by the US authorities in this context were answered truthfully, completely, and without delay. Ooh, that's that's a bit stingy. Yes. There are other ex-employees being brought into this. So there's Stefan Knirsch, who was on the Audi board along with Ulrich Hackenberg and Porsche board member Wolfgang Hatz, but they are being accused of the same thing, but this time it's under stock corporation law. I don't quite know what the difference is because, amazingly, there is a a small element of German legal legal practice that we don't understand yet. (laughs) Yes, yes. Let's nod, smile, and move on from that particular one. (laughs) But also there is... There are claims which has already been brought against Heinz Jakob Neuver, who is Volkswagen Passenger Car board member. Right, just just to give you an idea of why it's taken so long, they went through 65 petabytes of data, (laughs) which is the equivalent of 1,024 terabytes as part of the investigation. That's 480 million documents of which 1.6 million were identified as relevant. And there was also 1,550 interviews conducted. No wonder this has taken five years. (laughs) How many junior Excel jockeys did they have doing that? Oh, my word. How many times did they find out what the limit to columns and rows are? I know. (laughs) Control F. This is the final, 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 final version. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> before <laughs> no but that's that's actually really quite a big story in all this that mm. the group itself has said that they're the people involved have not done what they should have done they're not accusing them of actually orchestrating dieselgate and they're not being accused in this of ensuring that rogue engineers or 
engineer or whatever the excuse was at the time. I can't remember if it was rogue engineer or engineers. I think it was engineer. Yeah. Did this all of their own free will or whether they were directed by senior members? Volkswagen Group hasn't revealed the full findings or anything yet. That's quite a thing. Uh, none yeah. of the current board members have been implicated in this in any way, by the way, just to clarify that. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how we can follow that. I think we just go on to the new news. Well, yeah, yeah, that, that's that's the only thing open to us, really. Start off with not awesome news, really. Honda, the Swindon car plant, will be closing in July. Uh, that's when the current Civic will end production there. Mm-hmm. Honda have found a buyer for the plant, uh, and if not the plant, then the site, in that it's a company called Panatoni, uh, an industrial logistics firm. Surely they should have announced this at Christmas. I know, I know. Uh, missed it's, a trick there. <laughs> it was a piece of cake finding a new, finding the yes, buyer, you know. Right. <laughs> yes, they're going to turn it into, uh, they're looking to invest more than £700 million into redeveloping the site to attract new businesses. Uh, working with Swindenborough Council, obviously, on the regeneration. Uh, we'll find out. They're, they own similar sites all over the place, one in Northampton and stuff. Uh, just quite what the logistics will be, uh, who knows? Who knows just yet and what will happen to the to the site? So it may well be that they... What that smacks to me of is there's going to be lots of large sheds with... Well, the thing is, there will already, to, put... to a certain amount, to a certain extent, there will already be a, a lot of large sheds there, because of course you've got to have all the different components. Mm, but I think they can, yeah, I think they can knock it down and make more bespoke, smaller sort of cookie cutter sheds that they can make more money off quickly. Yes. Welcome to Corby. Yeah, exactly. Or the M62 going to Liverpool with the old airfields. Really? Well, around here, it's it's just it. You know, if it's not being used for parking cars on, it's being used to build a to build a warehouse. And I'd be surprised if they're not parking cars in some of the warehouses at the current rate. So, so that's what I would imagine is going to appear there. It's it's Swindon, so it is relatively convenient for the M4 and for yep. the southeast. Yes, I can actually see why that would be. So that's what's expected to happen to the the, the Swindon. Uh, the Swindon plant. Um, it's been around since 1985, by the way, beginning car production in 1989. Next up, uh, R&D though, different. This is this is good, and this is people coming to the UK. It is. Uh, RIMAC is going to or is opening its first R&D centre in the UK. It's going to be, or it is, sorry, in the Warwick Enterprise Park in Warwickshire, and they're going to employ up to thirty people by the end of this year. Uh, however, RIMAC has said that they have got the facility to expand in the years to come. Hmm. They are leading up to their new hypercar, the C underscore two, that will be coming out soonish mm-hmm. timescale to be determined, but it is supposed to be quite soon. Uh-huh. Incredibly convenient for a for a British brand that is going to be going all electric and luxury and things as well. Well, they are going to be down the road from the Warwick Propulsion, yes. Warwick University Propulsion Centre and Technology. There's a lot of stuff happening around Warwick Uni. Or Jaguar yeah. and uh, Aston Martin, for example. I think JLR have got part on that Warwick Uni thing as well. Um, so there, there's a lot didn't. happening in there. Hmm. Uh, so it makes a lot of sense to open your R&D there. And let's not forget that Rimac is 
almost part of the VW group. Yes. So this is information and technology and development going back to Porsche. It is. Because they're a, quite, a, quite a large owner in shares for them. But uh, what, what I think, for as much as we're happy as Brits to do ourselves down, it's great to see that the CEO, Mata Rimac, said uh, that uh, he wanted to come to Britain because British engineers are among the best in the world. So that's a nice pat on the back and a nice, nice bit of an ego boost when... Frankly, I feel we could do with it with some of the news that keeps coming out. I think Rimac is a really exciting company, mm-hmm. and I think they have gone about things in what I would term, uh, in inverted commas, the right way. Andrew approves of Rimac. Uh, no, well, yeah, I agree with you. Whilst I'm extracting the urine, I, I do agree with you. And British engineering and uh, British innovation is absolutely the best. We're just not always very good at putting it into practice. So things like this, setups like this, really do help help us to turn out world-beating products. Absolutely. Right, uh, talking of EVs. Oh, let's move on to the next exciting topic, which is the Automated <laughs> and Electric Vehicles Act 2018, everyone. Yes. Wow. On the edges of our seats here. No, There is an update, though. Don't worry, everyone. You know, we're not, we aren't that far behind. <laughs> Well, no, exactly. So there is an update, which is that a large chunk uh, of this act uh, is actually going to come into force on the 21st of April this year. Just so that everyone is completely aware which parts, it's sections 1 through 8, sections 9, 10, and 13 to 19, and section 20 brackets 1. But we don't need to talk about any more of it, because you guys know exactly what all of that is about. Yes, don't forget, though, in this, um, because people may have missed this this tiny bit, because I know they've been so busy just double-checking on what the insurance wording is, which is actually mm. very... We, we should probably remind people of what all of those different sections are. Go on, then. You run, run through... Oh, okay. So uh, what the Automated Electric Vehicles Act uh, 2018 is about, uh, it, in the most part, is about automated vehicles. Uh, sorry, that is blatantly obvious, wasn't it? it but, but the position of insurance and insurance around automated vehicles the li- what uh, what aspects are the liability of insurers what aspects are the insurers allowed to drop like a hot potato and is actually the the fault of the the liability lands with the owner or the yeah li- liability with the owner or the insured person in those places and the second part is about evs and it's about charging and it's it's about types of charge points information collected at charge points who should be providing charge points uh, and what kind of data should be should be collected as well as who can enforce it and who should insist that people have charge points generally mm-hmm. speaking i think i've that's as decent a pricey as i can give right right at the moment really yeah the reason of the weird grouping and why it's not 1 through 10 is 1 to 8 is all about the automated vehicles and the liability of insurers around that. Uh, most of the rest is are about electric vehicles. You'll notice that, that sections 11 and 12 are being missed out. 11 and 12 are all about the large fuel retailers and that large fuel retailers must have EV charging points and how many they should have in there and that so that's 11 and 12 is all about people 
insisting and enforcing that large fuel retailers have them. So this would be if you have, so BP petrol stations would have to have chargers. Shell petrol stations would have to have chargers. Mm. And to be honest, it would mean that supermarkets, I'm sure, would have to have chargers as well, because they will no doubt come under what large fuel retailers as well, and motorway service stations. So those are bits aren't being enacted uh, straight away. So and as a result, the elected mayors insisting that people have charging uh, isn't being brought in either. So those are 11 and 12. Those are the bits that missed out. But Andrew, you were going to explain the, the first challenge with the automated vehicles section of this. The very first part, number one of part one, listing of automated vehicles by the Secretary of State. Uh, <laughs> that has not happened because the Secretary of State's opinion... Uh, is comes into this and that the vehicle must be designed or adapted to be capable in at least some circumstances or situations of safely driving themselves which is fine which none of them can yet no but it, it is at least in some circumstances but but it's the driving themselves part which is fine because you can bring this in with nothing on the list it's still legal and all they have to do is revise the list yeah the important bit really that's coming in is you you must be able to pay for electric vehicle chargers using a essentially a standard payment method so it it's it's being able to pay for ev charging without having to sign up for accounts and stuff yeah uh comes in there it's the fact that you're at homes you're not allowed to install dedicated ev charging point which is not a smart charger which can transmit data uh, and then but also can manage when you are charging or discharging your ev if that's possible then it's about that kind of thing which is good the reason for that kind of stuff can give us us as users good functionality around being able to say even if the car doesn't give us the functionality to say charge overnight when it's cheaper the charger should be able to give us the functionality to say charge overnight when it's cheaper uh so those kind of those kind of things are coming in so so whilst this is coming in and there are no vehicles which comply which have been listed thus far at the time of recording that fit into the automated vehicles part it may well be that it comes in in dribs and drabs yeah um i'm at oh, yeah yeah absolutely. so yeah cool interesting stuff it is actually yes. interesting stuff i'm sorry it's... <sighs> no no it is it is uh in this instance because uh it was always going to be interesting to see how they tackled the insurance side of things and they yeah. seem to have done it quite sensibly and clearly it it does make a lot of pragmatic sense mm. and there's nothing in there that makes a potential should make a potential buyer go whoop they're going to make me responsible for what? It's all stuff like you're going to end up responsible if you if you trigger it when it's not appropriate to have done so. So it's not where it's not safe or it's not legal. It's not where it's not appropriate. So if you're using filter driving, uh, you know, and you trigger it in the middle of a town and you crash into someone and injure someone, then you are liable because you should not have been using filter driving within towns or anywhere but well, anywhere, to be perfectly frank, but anywhere yes. but motorway situations. Yep. Right, I'm going to move us on to the car industry being a bit miffed at the government. Uh, SMMT held a big <laughs> online event where they were Sorry. discussing... Sorry, should this not just be follow-up every week? <laughs> well, there's a very specific reason why in this instance. SMMT held an electric cars or electric, electric future uh, event online and... 
there was lots of uh, people from industry talking on whether they were from manufacturers or whether they were from the charging companies. Um, they were all involved in this. And funnily enough, manufacturers got a bit cross that the government has dialed back the plug-in grant, which means that there is less of our tax-paid money to go to buy said manufacturer's cars. Hmm. Now, I've been quite sarcastic in that delivery but the manufacturer's point is there's lots of incentives for fleet and business at the moment yeah and what the government has just done with the plug-in grant has dialed back in some instances quite heavily for private buyers at a time when it needs to be pushing for fleet and private buyers yeah to to hit the targets for 2030 for us for us to as a country, be more accepting of EVs and more ready for them and more used to them and understand what needs to happen, then all of us need to be pointing that way, not just parts of society. Mm. So one of the suggestions is that they don't cut it when it's proposed it will probably drop out, which is 2025-ish, because the pot will probably be used up by then, possibly even before then, if sales increase and people do go out and buy new EVs or plug-in hybrids, but to take away VAT off these uh, any EV or plug-in hybrid cars to yeah. encourage people to go and buy them and it brings the price down even more. Now, when I first thought about that, I thought, well, that's okay because the manufacturers won't be able to claim the VAT anyway, so it doesn't matter. It's not like they're gaining something, but it depends on what VAT levels are. So they may gain a little bit out of that as well. Not that I think it really matters that much. Even if they reduced the VAT to 10% or something, so 20 yeah. you know, that's that's a 10% saving, really. Yeah. Straight up. Whilst, like I said, whilst I have been a little bit sarcastic and a little bit put the boot in, but that funnily enough, <laughs> manufacturers <laughs> want more help for people to go out and spend more money on their product. There is at least... I don't agree with what... The SMMT are saying, their chief executive declaring that it was a game of snakes and ladders. I don't think it's that. I think that's a bit harsh to say that. However, maybe just evening it out and thinking these things through a bit more and helping consumers, particularly the private buyers, to go down this route would be a good thing. So at least don't make it, don't cut any more from the subsidies and grants. Yes, agreed. Fleet buyers, it's easy. You know, it's a zero percent benefit in kind. Mm. That's a massive saving for the people who who are using them. So, really easy to swap over. It's almost a no-brainer, to be perfectly frank. But yeah, for private buyers, yeah, we'll be standing sucking through our teeth, I guess. I mean, we we have to remember the government doesn't have to do anything at all apart from go. You've got till twenty thirty. You better sort yourselves out. Yeah, <laughs> and it's and it's a wonder that that's not what they're doing. Although some would argue that they mostly are. Yeah. If you want more on that, by the way, there's a link in the there's a link in the show notes to uh, to motoring research and their story on that. Mm-hmm. I think you better bring up the topic that uh, the abuse you gave me of my age. I might be reaching very soon. <laughs> yes, over seventies could be banned from driving at night under new proposals. According to again, another motoring research article here. That that all sounds very drastic and terrible. It's like, oh my goodness, I've turned 70. I'm not allowed to drive at night. And while some may say that that's a great idea, then others would, would probably d- disagree. And it's not. As soon as you turn 70, it is 
potentially should you have certain medical conditions mm. which may be fine you know during the day and stuff but but not so great at night driving at night may not be so good currently when you turn 70 then you have to get your driving license renewed now this might be a shock to people and surprise but yeah when you reach 70 uh, then you do have to have a medical for your driving license maintain your driving license and at that point they can revoke your driving license depending on on you know what they find so uh things such as dementia parkinson's epilepsy uh diabetes and any sort of sight related things so glaucoma and stuff i believe is, is part of that so some of those areas then you're still not going to be able to drive you, you won't get your license but in others it might be fine if it's potentially in some in terms of sight you might be fine you know during the day but then not at night yeah or rather than any of the alternatives, then people are saying, well, actually, what we're going to do here is we're, we're going to fit trackers to all your cars, or you're, you're going to have to fit a tracker to your car, is probably how this is, <laughs> this is going to happen. Yeah. And a lot of that makes sense. But they go on, and uh, Edward Trujillo, the chief executive of Driving Mobility, um, was saying that this is a good idea, and, and many motorists stick to their own local area already. And that they go to the shop, the doctor's surgery, go see a granddaughter down the road, probably on minor roads with which they're familiar, which is all incredibly, um, all incredibly condescending. Mm. And that this would regularize that, make it legal for them to do so as long as they didn't take a trip outside of an area or outside of a time restriction. There's a solution to this, which is to get someone to drive them. Possibly someone driving a sort of large vehicle with many seats on it. Yes. Which is what should happen. By the way, so trackers and everything are great, but do you know what would be safer if we had a comprehensive, regular, a decent public transport system? I think yes, that's absolutely uh, that is absolutely a case. But I think what else could be done that is relatively inexpensive and does not possibly cause people to go, "Hang on, you are deciding whether I am a good enough person to travel." to other parts or not, maybe having the regular test for fitness to drive yeah. more than every three years once they go over 70. Yeah. Maybe doing simple things like that so that if if there is a deterioration in, say, eyesight or that somebody is ha has a health issue that they haven't detected because they haven't noticed, that that's picked up quickly rather than three years later. Mm -hmm. Because... As you said, the the tone in the quotes that are at the back end of this article, again in the show notes, are quite condescending, quite patronising. And they make it sound as though they've done investigation into this, but they haven't. No. They don't know this is the case in any way uh, at all. I, I just think this is, a, a, this is a, another example of how road safety and mobility is being approached in this country at the minute, that it is... Technology will fix it, and if technology doesn't fix it, then we will just forbid you from doing a thing. Mm -hmm. And if somebody is not fit to drive, that's fine. But is it proportionate when there has been, over 10 years, an increase from 95 deaths attributed to this age group to 145? Yeah. I don't know if it is proportionate. That's obviously awful. Any of the deaths are awful. But 
over that timescale for that amount that has increased, considering how far car technology has moved on as well and how much mm-hmm. faster cars are and all the rest of it, is that proportionate reaction to this problem? Mm, not convinced. Serial bandwagon jumper. So Edmund King, OBE, president of the AA, is criticising the possible plan and saying that doctors should really be reporting people to the DVLA for any medical conditions. Right, I think that's about the end of the first part. It is. This is nice having stories this week, unlike last week. (laughs) But the end of the first part means it's guilt minute, of course, that quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel the Motoring Podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise available from our website and spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash we completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released and by a liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all that, and some of you do, so thank you very much, uh, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you to everyone that does. Mm-hmm. All of those. I see from the emails that I've received during the first part of this that we are the 49th most popular automotive podcast in Australia. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Right, Formula E, Alan. There is actually some motorsport news this week. And it's all good news. It is. It is. Well, it's, it's quite short, mind you. But Nissan and Porsche have both signed up to the Gen 3 Formula E cars and races. So that's that's there's going to be four at least four teams on the uh, on the uh, on the grid, uh, and if there aren't four teams, then someone's going to be paying an awful lot of money very quickly. Uh, Audi and BMW have bowed out. Yep, remember? Yeah, because Volkswagen are going through this their regular cycle of we'll only have one of our brands in each race series. Yeah, that'll change in a year or two. Yeah. <laughs> so. Wait until we've all mostly forgotten about it. Uh, Jaguar and Mercedes uh, are expected to continue as well. But Neo 333 is pretty uncertain. Uh, as Mahindra and DS, of course, are the other two who have signed up. I think I've given you all the information, but not necessarily in the most logical order just there. <laughs> yes. I did see speculation. It is only speculation at this time. Would the Andretti team be an in for McLaren? Which was an interesting thought. Definitely, Yes. It's definitely there. I hope so. Because they are very close. That that would make a lot of sense. Penske Autosport as well, I didn't mention before. Uh, but they, again, are expected to make communications next month, according to, to, according to the race. Cool. Right, WRC and some good news. The Acropolis Rally is back. Uh, this year it's coming in because it's replacing Rally Chile because... There's continued travel um, restrictions, but there's also other restrictions within the country of Chile still ongoing um, through the issues, the the social issues they've got there. But this is actually a long-term multi-year contract that they've signed with the Greek government. So it's good to see that um, Acropolis Rally will be back for several years to come and tyre manufacturers are cheering through the roof <laughs> the news of this and so are the strengtheners of wheel arches to <laughs> yeah. stop the rocks from killing the drivers or something 
it's yeah it's 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 a total kicker yeah that's going to be interesting that's good actually the the race will be uh round 10 it's not race but the event sorry it will be round 10 and will be from the 9th to the 12th of september mm-hmm. it's worth visit following the link in the show notes uh by the way to the wrc page because the the hold screen for the video of the greek prime minister is quite um is is quite creepy actually <laughs> scroll down a bit so but no that's good news it Excellent. is Fing, fingers crossed and all that well showing these these uh, like um formula e has done because they put some double headers in as well haven't they mm-hmm. uh that were missing uh in the calendar the, the the organizing um teams or the organizing groups are working very hard behind the scenes to make sure that as much racing takes place as possible so uh I know it's not easy for them, and hats off to them. Uh, at yeah, the absolutely, absolutely yeah. not not an easy job. Just yeah. monitoring everything. Yeah. yeah. Lunchtime read this week is actually a slideshow, and it's a slideshow from Autocar, and it's talking about the life and death of the Ford Mondeo, which sounds a little bit over dramatic, to be perfectly honest. But Ford have announced that the Mon- that Mondeo production will cease in twenty twenty two. And so, obviously, everyone sort of started mourning its demise already, um, as if it was had already been, you know, as if the Mondeo was already being laid to rest six feet under. Do you not think that just reminded people that we don't see much of them anyway? Not new ones, no. No. Hmm. Uh, but do you remember, uh, well, I remember when they launched it and Autocar did, or Autocar and Motor as it was then, uh, did 10,000 miles in a Mondeo in a week. Do you remember <laughs> that? They took a, it was mm-hmm. a GL or a GLX and they did, they, they were going 24 seven. They did, they did, uh, they did 10,000 miles in a week in a Mondeo. I feel like, I feel like we were quite wussy going around Britain now. I know. Well, and <laughs> honestly, anything like that, I do, I don't know if you'd ever even manage it now. I don't know if you could keep the average speeds that they maintained. They did a lot of continental miles. I mean, they went right out to Italy and, and Peter Robinson, the European editor, had a go at the time and, and so it was the, the whole, the whole thing. And then back, I think it was on ferries quite a lot of the time at the time. So just, just going back and forth, but no, they managed it. It was, it was really cool everyone chipping in and just cruising europe but this mm. is this this goes through uh quite a lot of the story of the mondeo um and the, the just the surprises uh and and things that that appeared and and some of the you know it was called the mondeo because it was ford's first world car um it was the mercury contour uh in the u.s which actually wasn't a big success sadly partly because it had been made really quite ugly but uh f- pardon me ford contour and then it's the mercury something else but it being in my, an auto car slideshow it's cut off the end of the paragraph so yeah 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 that's it's a big game changer especially you know this was this was the car that really set ford back on the road to being good handling nice to drive cars yep. after that mark 5 escort which they had totally panned autocar and mm. totally panned when it came out so so yeah it's it's been i don't know has it been around it's out in well, 1993 so i mean you probably find that the mondeo name has been around is that at least as long as cortina i should probably have looked this up longer than sierra anyway yeah longer than sierra could be could well be actually important important car much as the sierra was a big departure from the uh 
In fact, it was possibly a bigger departure from the Sierra than the Sierra was from the Cortina. But it's it's not surprising with the way that PCP has happened and stuff like that. I mean, we've talked about it many times on the show that the premium manufacturers are now mass manufacturers. Mm, um, Because people just extend a thing or the prices, or what you were saying last week as well, you know, how residuals are better, so therefore the prices can be lower, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not a surprise that people go, well, I'd rather have that badge than this badge. Yeah. Uh, And that's just the way it's gone, and unfortunately it's very difficult to compete. And plus, and added on top of that, that we've gone towards SUVs as as a population well my next line was going to be and there's a lot of i see a lot of cougar around it really does seem to be making making inroads and, and popular in quite a for quite a few pumas as well but i see a lot of cougars mm. anyway that means list of the week falls to you andrew it does and it's an optimistic one from haggerty thanks to uh, anthony ingram and it's the motoring events to look forward to in 2021 now that we've got a smidgen of hope that we're all going to be allowed out for more than an hour and to meet more than six people socially distanced across different fields and all the rest of it that uh, we can attend or watch or see some motor racing or some go to some car shows or whatever it is but there is a fantastic list of what's booked in for now for the coming year uh, and there are some uh, there's actually an awful lot here that I didn't know happened because it's nowhere near me, but I'm now hoping there's a YouTube channel with showing some of these things at some point. <laughs> Is there any in this that stand out to you? Uh, the, uh, Festival of the Unexceptional is the only one that I've really thought I might got to go to that, which is organized by Haggerty, by the way. What, what are you going to take? What am I going to take? Uh, I don't class... None of my cars are either no. old enough or unexceptional enough. Uh, but exactly. the Mercedes would look nice in the car park. Yes. It's it's definitely... it's. I mean, it, it in itself is is not unexceptional, but it's, it's not exceptional, but it's not unexceptional. So it's not, you know, a Ford Sierra Chasseur estate or something, which would get in straight in uh so yes. there's that uh traditionally bug jam has been quite good i haven't been for years and years and years just down at santa pod there's jap show light at santa pod as well the the list is not is not exhaustive uh it's also worth rem- remembering i'm going to plug a friend's thing here uh but it's worth remembering about reduno so you can actually find car shows and things events taking place uh near you uh if you want to find out more about that then i did a special edition with uh tim oldland about that i was on the one of the founders who, who launched in march last year yay well done well done mate but uh but no <laughs> so it's, it's, you can Poor search by, by, i know absolute sod that you can search by by postcode uh, to find out things that are happening near you. Uh, and if you you can also register an event as well, if you are running an event. And don't mm-hmm. forget to tell people like Haggerty as well, so they can add it to their lists. Yep. I think that was yep. fair plugging there. I know, you did, you did a good job there. Did I make it clear it was a plug? Yes, because uh, you said plug several times. Good, good. That's the important bit. We like to do it right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, talking about doing things right... This just tickled me, this and finally, which is why I had to include it. I, the, the, yeah, this one's fallen to me, but it was really you that included it. But it, uh, a picture appeared uh, on Twitter uh, last weekend, it was, and it's of a chap in, I assume it's a chap in Seattle, 
who has used six by two planks. <laughs> when you look, when you look at it, you go, "No, a woman didn't decide to do that." <laughs> that was, you know, that was the thought process, and I thought, "No, you can't say things like that. Not in 2021." No, we're not being derogatory to women in any way if you look at the picture. <laughs> no, they, they would be doing a better job, I think. Uh, yes. So it is made of, yeah, chap in Seattle has made this H-frame. It's not even an H-frame. This framework uh, to... And a ratchet, and a, Yeah. Uh, and a ratchet strap to, to use as a, an engine hoist. Well, it looks like they're working on their Audi uh, estate in the middle of the road. And... Um, it's quite special, uh, but what? Ha- but the reason we've included this is that uh, David Tracy takes a break from writing about uh, Jeep on Jeep Lopnik <laughs> to uh, uh, to to work out whether or not this would actually work or if it's going to break. Now, personally, I wouldn't trust it as far as I can throw it because I think, I wouldn't be happy with it lifting an empty bucket, let alone holding the weight of an engine. Well, I think it would flop sideways, because I don't think the side supports are, are no. going to be strong enough. Uh, that's what no. would worry me. Uh, it would be those sort of, be that kind of um, elliptical-type failure. Um, not elliptical-type failure. I can't think. But yeah, it would flop sideways anyway. It's it's quite quite something he goes through he shows his workings do take a look because it is actually really very good yes um to work out if it's if it's going to break or not in fact it goes on for so long i'm still scrolling i've been scrolling most of the time i've been talking here uh i can't actually work out if it is going to if it is going to break or fail but yes i'm going to let you find out yourselves i now know the answer by the way it is at the end but uh, that's at the back, back of the test. Uh, but yeah, that, that's a cracker. That one's well worth a click yep. by Jalopnik. So thank you, Jalopnik folk, because you do make, you do write nice stuff. As does everyone that we take our take our stories from and link to in said show notes. Yep. Parish notes this week. I did stuff on the video, did video last weekend. People still watching it, thank you very much, and saying relatively nice things, which is a bit worrying. It's YouTube, so doubtless that run will end at some point. Uh, but do take a look. It's it's on our on our YouTube site. That's youtube.com slash motoringpodcast, because I'm really original. And Motoring Podcasted all the things. Uh, and the other thing I'm going to pimp is uh, the Not Too Grand Calibra video, if you've not watched it. It's it's uh, our, our friends Chris and Rich cleaning a Calibra basically and talking about it excellent if you want a calibra i'm sure if you get in touch with one of them you can possibly make an offer should you want a mostly solid looking calibra body shell with a slightly stuck three liter v6 engine and no they didn't come with a three liter v6 as standard but it's otherwise a turbo four-wheel drive with all the transmission uh which is yeah worth a watch anything else i missed andrew don't think so is that us for the week? We're still working on trying to find time to do other things, everyone. Yeah. We're, we're, we're not forgetting. We're not ignoring it. We're not trying to put things off. We're just not getting to it. <laughs> yes, I think I'm moving into my, what's this, my 10th or 11th hour of sitting at this desk today. So, uh, yeah, it's been been a little bit like that. With that in mind, 
then don't forget between now and next week you can give us any feedback share your thoughts to the show at motoring podcast on twitter and instagram on facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com the hub of all our activities please don't forget about our patreon or our audible offers uh, available at motoringpodcast.com slash support and please leave a review and rating on apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing andrew what's the best way to get in touch with you Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to send you more complimentary words about your lovely video, about the Mercedes and the rest of your cluttered drive, what are the best way for them to do that? Uh, leave them in the comments below. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Uh, but if you want to talk to me about anything else, uh, then you can do so on Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y, because I forgot to spell it last week. We'll be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.